It was a few weeks ago, and uh, Momentum Youth did the 30-hour famine. And uh, towards the edge of the 30-hour famine, we went uh, over to Putting Edge Golf on Merivale. And, and I've been there many times, but it's always fun to go there with someone for, for, for the first time because the place is absolutely covered in UV-sensitive paint. And there are wild and wacky pictures everywhere. There's space themes, there's undersea themes, there are volcano themes. But if you can imagine going there when the UV lights were off, I wonder what it would look like. It would look rather boring. It would look rather humdrum. But when the UV lights are on, it's like we're, we're being invited into viewing life on a whole other spectrum. Life lights up. Now, I've watched these shows... Um, about cops chasing people, and often it's in the States, and uh, often it's high-speed car chases. But sometimes the car enters a cul-de-sac, and then the driver realizes at that moment that he has nowhere to go. And so he, he usually, usually it's a guy, you know, you don't see many high-speed tra- chases involving women, so usually it's a guy, and usually he gets out of his car, and he starts running. And we're watching this action from the perspective of a helicopter hovering, uh, hovering overhead. And usually this perp makes his way into an apartment complex um, or into a park. And then all of a sudden it's really hard to see him as he's running away. And then you think that the chase is over, that he escaped, and that's the end of the show. But then all of a sudden the person operating... The camera up in the helicopter changes it from normal vision over to infrared. And suddenly the heat signature of the perp, of the perpetrator, you're able to see it. And then, and then the police close in and the person up in the helicopter shows them where he is and then the police close in and he's caught. He's, uh, sent away. Now sometimes in order for us to see what's really going on, we need to switch over to a whole other spectrum, to a whole new spectrum. Last week we learned this, that uh, the miracles that, 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 that Jesus did laid the groundwork for the miracle of his message. And that message is this, that Jesus is willing and that you can be clean. That's the miracle of the message. You see, our biggest problem in our life is our sin, it's this moral stain which is on our lives, and it separates us from a God who is perfect, from who is holy, but a God who also loves us. And so it's this God who has been most offended by our uncleanness, who is the only one who is able to tell us that we are clean through Jesus Christ. And the good news, this is the whole message of the gospel, this is the hope, is that Jesus looks at us and he says, I am willing. And so he used miracles to ready people and to prepare them for the miracle of the message. He used this, this, he used this miracle which people could see with their eyes to show us a miracle and to prepare us for a miracle which we could not see with our eyes, which happened on a whole other spectrum. Let's turn to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says a few days later, when Jesus entered, entered, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. 
They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So he's back home, he's, he's back in his base, he's probably staying at Simon Peter's home again, where he recently healed Simon's mother-in-law, and folks have heard that he is back in the town. And so once again, the crowds start to gather, and there are people that flood into the house, and they are overwhelmed with excitement. You know, I just watched this uh, video on YouTube with Sir Paul McCartney, and he goes back to his old haunt his old house, and he's just in this house, he's walking around with uh, James Corden, it's really moving, it's really fantastic, he's there for a few minutes, and then they look out the window, and all these people are there with their cell phones, because they've heard that Sir Paul had come home. I would really recommend you watching that, it's awesome, some great tunes as well. But that's like what happened here, is he comes home, and people hear about it, and then they throng outside his house. Maybe they didn't have cell phones, but uh, they were excited. And after the last time they saw him, he snuck away. And we read that in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. He knew that they were there, they, he knew that they wanted him, and so he sneaks away. And so they were wondering where he is, and now this wandering rabbi who does miracles is back in town. And they're primed and ready for some sweet miracle action, some exorcism, some fever reductions, some issue of blood stoppage, whatever Jesus is able to do, they're ready for it. And in response to this amazing crowd which is thronging around him, Jesus gives them pretty much what they don't want. He preaches the word to them. If I had the might and the power of Christ and, and I was able to do miracles like him in the same way that he was and, you know, and I knew that you were here to see that, I would feel real pressure, you know, you know, to actually do it. But Jesus resists this pressure and in doing so, he actually brings them something even more amazing. Verse two, it says he preaches the word to them. And remember in chapter 1 verse 38, we learn that Jesus, he lets us in on this secret. He says this, this is why I have come in chapter 1 verse 38. This is why I have come so I can preach. This is why he came. And, and then, and then in the midst of that massive crowd, there's a group of latecomers. It's a group of men, four of whom uh, four of which are carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher. Verse 3 of chapter 2. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was on. Now, remember that this man who's paralyzed is just a drop in the ocean of human needs that Christ sees at that moment right, right then. He's, he's just one among many of people who are limping, who are hurt, who are, who are blind, who are wanting a touch, and he's just one. Everyone wants a miracle, and yet Jesus singles him out. Now, when I think of a crowd... And I think when we think of a crowd, in our minds, we probably have this image of people who are rather polite with, with a bubble that's a decent size around them, and they accidentally bump into each other, and then they apologize, and then they retreat a bit of a, you know, a, a safe way away, um, so that they don't have to knock that person's elbow again. When we think of a crowd, we're thinking Canadians. 
Okay, but this, but these were people from the Middle East, and when we think of crowd, we must try not to think of Canada Day in North Gore. It's not that kind of crowd. Uh, we need to think of instead the third-class carriages on Sri Lankan trains. That's what we need to be thinking about. Now, maybe you've never experienced a third-class carriage on a Sri Lankan train. I have, and. I've experienced that with Wendy and my parents and my kids. And it is insane because the train rolls into the station. Then you're fighting little Sri Lankan grannies so that you're able to get on the train. And then you get on the train and realize that that nice little Sri Lankan granny who was elbowing you, that she took the last seat. And so you can't sit down. And so, you, so you're standing and you move towards the middle of the carriage with this kind of sea of humanity pushing behind you and you see the sea of humanity in front of you and it gets tighter and tighter and more squished and more squished and, the, and this sea of humanity never stops, it just keeps on going and then you start to panic because you realise that for this journey of two hours or whatever it is that there's literally an impregnable wall of human flesh between you and the bathrooms, between, between you and any open windows and you're literally wedged upright for this whole time and so for the next next couple of hours someone my height your entire universe is the sea of black hair surrounding you and that was my universe for my kids it was a bit of a different universe because they were down lower and it wasn't people's heads that they had to stare at for two hours and so just when you imagine that this is the, is the densest group of humanity that's ever happened, and you wish, you know, that you had some record-marking person there, you know, to, you know, to maybe take a photo, you'd be in the Guinness Book of Records, you think it's that, and then the crazy thing happens. The, the vendors and the sellers walk onto the train with these massive trays of stuff, of nibbles and fruit, and somehow you can't move an inch, but somehow they manage with these massive trays to navigate their way through it without dropping anything. And so when I think about crowds, and when I think about this crowd in Mark chapter 2, that's what I'm thinking, is third class uh, third class carriage on a Sri Lankan train. And so Jesus is speaking and the people are listening. And I would imagine that people are trying to keep themselves as quiet as they can so that they don't miss anything Jesus says. You know, you know they're like, shh, listen to him. You know, I was just on the phone with my parents last week on, on, on Skype and I couldn't hear them hardly at all. And so I, so everyone in the whole floor of the house had to be quiet, had to not breathe so that I could listen to my parents, you know? So that's how I imagine it as well, is that people were trying the hardest to listen and to be quiet. Then all of a sudden, in the midst of this heat and the sweat and the armpits and the humanity, this hole is opened in the ceiling and the hole gets bigger and bigger until it's about the size of maybe a coffin and then a man is lowered down through it probably with ropes on each each corner of the mat. This mat then rests on people's heads and there's the distinct possibility that this is going to be the first ever incident of crowd surfing in humanity, which would have been cool because then Jesus would have been there when crowd surfing was invented, but the crowd does what the crowd does. It finds that room and it makes room and that person comes and lies on the floor. Now Luke tells us that this man with a mat on it is lying in front of Jesus, which means that those people up in the roof 
had really good aim. They knew exactly to where that, where, where to make that hole, and they knew exactly where to lower him down. And uh, we aren't told what the name of the man on the mat is, but because he's a man on a mat, you know, uh, let's call him Matt. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, remember that the crowd were there to see some sweet miracles, but Jesus instead had preached. Now, this group who hadn't got the memo that this is a preaching service, not a healing service, they wrecked the roof and they literally crashed the party. And so people are getting excited. Maybe they'll finally get to see some healing. But Jesus' words upon seeing him are, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is not what the crowd was expecting. Matt had an obvious need, and Jesus starts talking about forgiveness. Verse 6 tells us that some of the teachers of the law were there. Um, Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this man talk like that, Um, saying that his sins are forgiven? He's blaspheming. Who, Who can forgive sins but but God alone. But this is exactly the point that Jesus was making. Only God's able to forgive sins. And since Jesus is is forgiving sins, that means that he understands that he is, in fact, God. And so Christ looks at them and he knows what's going on in their minds. Verse 8, it says, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? So which, which is easier? You, know, you just think about it in your own mind. Um, which is easier? Is it to heal or to forgive? Which is more easily faked? And when you look at the surface, of course, the answer is clear because whether Jesus can or not cleanse sins, you know, it's not really verifiable. Sins being expunged, there's no smell to it, there's no taste to it, there's no sound to it. You cannot see sins vanishing with your own eyes, or you cannot feel in a, in a, in a, in a tactile sensory way that these sins have actually vanished. So, so this actually flies under the radar of our five senses. So it's easy to fake the forgiveness of sins. Now, I can look out at you and I can say that I have no idea which of you have had your sins cleansed by Christ and which of you haven't. But we're all, you know, we're in church and so we all try to give off this kind of I'm saved vibe. But there's no way for us to really verify it because it operates on a whole other spectrum. But if next week I came in here and I started speaking with absolute fluency... And I never stuttered again, and I was literally able to say anything that I wanted to whenever I wanted to without, you know, without any, any worry. And I didn't have to wear this little earpiece to help me not to stutter. And I never breathed funny, and I never made funny faces, or I never paused at weird spots ever again in my life. That would be verifiable. I would be healed. 
And so Jesus' point is this, that anyone can fake the power to forgive sins, but no one can fake the verifiable miracle of the healing of someone who is known to be paralyzed. And so Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. What, what's Jesus saying at this point? He's saying that the sermon is not finished yet. He's still preaching. He still has something very specific that he wants to say to the crowd who are listening. And his main point of this sermon is this, is that Jesus has power to forgive sins. And into his lap drops the best ever lesson that he could he could ever possibly ask for. Here's this man that needs healing, that can prove that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And so he incorporates this whole and this man and mat into his sermon. Verse 12. So he got up. Yeah, this is this man, Matt. He he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So Jesus heals Matt, and Matt gets up, and he, he goes home. He squeezes through that crowd in full view of them all. This was a bona fide miracle witnessed by tons and tons of people. And I think that why Mark stressed that he walked out in full view of them all, is that when the Gospel of Mark was written, we have to remember this, when the the Gospel of Mark was written, many of the people in that crowd would have still been living. And so if you wanted to, to actually verify the truth of what happened at that moment in time, all you had to do was to head over to Capernaum for one day, walk around and ask. And you would have heard person after person saying, I remember the day when... Jesus healed Matt. And maybe even Matt was still alive. Maybe even Matt's kids were. But the whole point of this, and what I'm trying to explain to you today, is that the point of this whole incident was not the healing of Matt. The point was the forgiveness of sins. This was not about the healing of a paralyzed man. This was um, the healing of a sinful man. Matt needed Jesus' forgiveness much more than he needed Jesus' healing. Now, there's nothing in this text to explicitly say that Matt asked for Jesus' forgiveness. But as Jesus shows us with the teachers of the law, uh, he immediately knows what's going on and what people are thinking in their hearts. And so I think it's reasonable to assume that Jesus looked at Matt, and he knew in his spirit, just as he knew the teachers of the law, that he looked at Matt, and he knew immediately what was going on in Matt's heart. And so Jesus not only offered him physical healing, but also spiritual and eternal healing. He offered Matt what Matt needed most, absolute healing, real forgiveness. And what you'll see as well is that is that Jesus offers the same courtesy to to yeah the the, the law teachers that he offered Matt because what he did both for the teachers of the law uh, and for Matt is that he went beyond what he saw to see what was really going on. Jesus turned on his spiritual infrared vision. 
And what this shows me is that Jesus couldn't care less about the fact that I'm here on a platform speaking to you because this is just what's happening on the visible level. But Jesus flicks over to a spiritual infrared vision so that he can look at my internal heat signature so that he can see what's really going on inside me. And so my my question for you and for me is this. What color is your heart's heat signature? You know, the teachers of the law, with Jesus' infrared turned on, they were a bluey and a purpley color. They were cold with their religious superiority, with their, with their, with their cynicism, with their group mentality. But Matt, lying on the floor, was white hot with faith, with expectation, with hope, and with this deep need for Jesus to really forgive him. Matt was white hot with this need. And so Jesus exposes both Matt and the law teachers' true self. He responds to their true self. He doesn't respond to, to, to what he sees. He responds to what's really going on, which is why Matt, which is why Matt gets forgiveness and which is why the teachers are told off. Now, this, this uh, scripture closes um, in verse 14 with, with Jesus calling Levi, who's also known as Matthew, uh, who's, who's hated. He's a tax collector. And Jesus says in verse 14, he says this, uh, or he calls him and then Levi follows him. And then what happens after that is that Levi throws Jesus a, a party with all of the ne'er-do-wells, with all of the social misfits who make up his social circle. And then the teachers of the law are there again, and they expose Jesus with triumph in their voices, I would imagine, as one who eats with tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus, so they've exposed him as this, as this person who eats with, with the social un- undesirables. And then Jesus in return exposes their true selves. Um, and so what, what they say to him is this. They're saying in essence, this rabbi who acts all high and mighty, who, who claims to be God is nothing more than a bottom feeder who hangs out with those who are not welcome in nice society. If only people knew that this is who he truly was. But then what Jesus does is he does an end run on them. He agrees with them. Verse 17, he says this, uh, on hearing them, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so what he's saying at that moment is he's saying, you're absolutely right. You've hit the nail on the head. I am the one who eats and who fellowships with sinners. This is why I have come. And really what he's saying is this. Earlier, when you said that only God was was able to cleanse sins, you, you actually pointed out that I am God. And now you've also pointed out the reason why God came here to earth, to eat with tax collectors and sinners, to serve as a doctor for those who are sick in the most profound way possible by forgiving their sins. For the Son of Man, he did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. And so Jesus is saying, I am the God who eats with sinners. That is who I am. But what the teachers of the law missed is that they needed this God who eats with sinners as much as the tax collectors did. Because when Jesus said that it's not the healthy who who need a doctor but the sick, he wasn't saying that the teachers of the law were healthy. What he was trying to get through their thick skulls is that they needed a doctor as much as anyone they needed a saviour. They they needed one who could see to the heart of the matter, who could turn on the spiritual infrared and find out exactly how hot or cold they were. They they needed someone who could turn on the x-ray and see right into the heart of them. They needed someone who could not only raise raise the paralyzed, but who could forgive the sinner, who could take out his scalpel and do emergency surgery. They needed a new heart. These teachers of the law and Matt, they both needed a new heart. They needed a heart transplant. And so for you here today, I want to say this to you, is that Jesus sees you. He knows what's really going on. And maybe you're laid out like Matt, but you you believe that Jesus can touch you, that he can restore you, and that Jesus is ready to respond. Maybe with a miracle, because he's able to do that, but for sure, he can forgive you. Or perhaps you hear, like, like the teachers of the law, outwardly, you, you're a pillar of the community, but inwardly you're scoffing because your worldview can't encompass a God who would come to eat with sinners. And the good news for everyone, whether you're a mat or you're a teacher of the law, is that Jesus sees through to the heart of the matter. He sees what's really going on. He has not come to call the righteous. He's come to call sinners. He's come to call you. And Jesus is a special doctor. He's He's not come to wait for the sinners to come to him. He's come to call the sinners. I've never known a doctor walk up to someone in the street and say to them, uh, excuse me, I see some worrying symptoms. Um, here's my card. Let's make an appointment. That's not what, what medical professionals do. Normally doctors don't call their patients. They wait until they're called. But Jesus is absolutely different. He's wandering in your streets. He's in your house. He's in your living room. He's in your bedroom. And he sees those symptoms that are invisible to the naked eye. And he's calling you. He sees the real you. He sees that you are a sinner because Jesus is the God who eats with sinners. And Jesus has your number and he's calling you and he's offering you a spiritual heart transplant. He's offering a new start This is who he is.